Marcus Vitruvius Pollio, commonly known as Vitruvius, was a Roman author, architect, civil engineer and military engineer during the 1st century BC. He is best known for his multi-volume work entitled De Architectura, in which he suggested that the human body was the ideal example of proportion found in nature. He based his classical order of architecture on this model and believed that proportions in buildings ought to be based on proportions found in nature, starting with the human body. This is the very concept that, in around 1490 AD, inspired Leonardo da Vinci to draw his Vitruvian Man, that iconic image of a man with arms outstretched. Fortunately for the city of Liverpool, none of its buildings are based on the proportions of Everton's goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford. As a child, apparently, young Pickford chose professional football over a life of intellectual endeavour out of pure frustration, as he was constantly being ignored by his unwitting teachers, even if he had the right answer. Welcome to episode 17 of Cop On, you steamy little dumpling. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Cop On Podcast, or send us some hate mail to coponpodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us by visiting patreon.com forward slash coponpodcast, and there is a chance you could win some prizes by doing so. My name's Owen, and I was delighted to be joined around 45 minutes after Liverpool had hammered the toffees of Everton 1-0 thanks to a 96th-minute winner by the wonderful Divock Origi. This conversation involved Reds from around the world, from America, Jamie Connolly, from Sweden, Linus Lovegaard, and in Spain, Joe Cassinelli, who writes about football for The Times and ESPN. We have a multinational community of extremely happy bunnies on the line right now. Um, I'm going to start with you, uh, Joe. Uh, where, like, what was your? There's only one place to start, and that's the that's the goal. Um, tell us what. Tell us. I'm just going to say the goal. Go. <laughs> um, well, I mean, aside from being completely and utterly gobsmacked and in sort of fits of hysterics when it went in. I was actually fuming moments before because from Van Dyke sort of attempting a volley at, with the ball at that height at such an angle from so far out in the last minute, you kind of, I was like, fucking hell, Virgil, what are you doing? You know, get it down and try and, you know, try and do something with it. And then, but just the way that everything has kind of gone for Virgil van Dyke since he joined Liverpool, it turned into the, the perfect assist and, Jordan Pickford, who gets a lot of stick for, for having small arms from uh, from a lot of Liverpool fans, didn't do himself any favours. He tried to catch the ball instead of tipping it over the bar. But I think it's one of them where Virgil van Dijk does it and it hits the bar, comes down and Origi heads it in hilariously. The 
most comic goal that will be scored in the Premier League all season, you imagine, after, you know, to take something to beat that. And then you just kind of think, if that's, if that's Dejan Lovren attempting that volley, the Virgin attempts, it just goes into Rosehead, and we're all furious with him. And you're thinking, you brain-dead bastard. But because it's Virgil, it's just beautiful. And they kind of, kind of lost for words, really. Like, the actual goal itself is just, is just ridiculous. But you've got to say well done to Origi for following the ball in because there's four or five Everton defenders who just stand and watch it. And he's the only person who thinks, I'm going to go and challenge a goalkeeper just in case this ball comes down as unlikely as it is. And he was rewarded for it. And it's sort of full circle in his career, having you know, basically had 18 months out of the game at the top level, fulfilling his potential because of a tackle received in a Merseyside derby. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Karma... Uh, can be a bitch, as they say, but it can be an absolutely beautiful, beautiful lady sometimes. Jamie, how are you feeling? It's a weird one. When the game was at eight um, in Los Angeles times, eight in the morning, I didn't make it out to a bar. And so you end up in your pyjamas screaming at a dodgy stream. I couldn't believe it. When I just, I couldn't, first of all, like, Derek Origi, he had a chance when he first came on that he put on the bar and then almost the same thing, like great like predator in the area, obviously not he's had plenty of flaws as a forward for us, but he's always been able to get in the right place and score kind of messy goals. But just the absolute joy. And then when the replays and you see it's Pickford who, you know, we all know said, you know, I won't make any blunders like Allison and the fact that it's him who kept the ball in for us so we could score a last minute winner. Um I think Jürgen probably summed up my reaction most, the fact he's sprinting onto the pitch there. I think everyone wishes they could be him and, and doing that. Well, yes, Jürgen was, yes, and uh, Danny Mills, have you seen on BBC Five Live? He said uh, that was very disrespectful of Jürgen Klopp, but Danny Mills can fuck right off, I've got to say. I completely disrespect Danny Mills. He was an absolute no-hoper, no-brained thug when he played for Leeds United, and now he's like, oh, that's disrespectful. Fuck you, Danny Mills. Excuse my language, but he can piss right off. Um, Linus, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm not really sure what to say. That was ridiculous. I The, the goal as well, it's just karma. Origi getting injured when he's in the form of his life against Everton, and uh, now he's sinking them in the 96th minute it just it doesn't get better than that the best way to win a derby for sure and I feel we we played very well in the first half we had our game in pressing back which was very fun to see and I I think most of the most of the midfield actually felt very dynamic Fabinho just was immense in that game and yeah I'm just ecstatic with the players and I'm I'm not really sure to say what to say the players and the club celebrations just does it all really absolutely I mean that's that's a very good point Fabinho was I mean that was a proper performance from him wasn't it today I mean you know if I'd I'd sort of mentally prepared for a nil nil and I'd written down some uh, some positives and negatives from that match. And Fabinho was definitely a positive. But yeah, I've got to say when that when that goal went in, I mean, I was I was I shrieked. My friend happened to record it. Uh, he happened to be recording the end of the match, so there will there will be audio of it. Uh, me shrieking, and I think uh, 
I might have some explaining to do to the neighbours. But then they didn't come and knock on the door to see if everything was okay. So maybe they don't care about me anyway. But yes, Pickford with his... Maybe they're blue. Maybe maybe they're Everton fans, exactly. Yes, and they're crying in their toilets right now. Uh, Yes, I mean, you know, Pickford, I mean, his arms, I mean, they're sort of like Sparrow's wings, aren't they? And that ball that bounced on the crossbar, hit the crossbar twice, didn't it? And then... Divock with his with his lovely short dreadlocks was there to just sort of swish his head in. Five minutes before that, he'd hit the crossbar, and I was thinking, this is not a day for fairy tales, because if it was a fairy tale, Divock would have hit that one in. And then on 90 minutes, Cater had a had a had a moment. He was teed up, I think, by Vineldum on the edge of the box, and he completely fluffed it. And I thought, well, there you go. That's the that's the dream over. But then to get that goal, argh, what a match! What a match! What a game! What a feeling! Fabinho was excellent, wasn't he, Jamie? Yeah, he was great. I was, interesting, actually. I think the best four players on the pitch, and the reason we'd probably all settled for a nil-nil. Um, were for the first you know 80, 85 minutes maybe Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Ghana and Gomez who completely nullified both sides counter-attacking and kind of attacking thrust or if they didn't completely nullify it they really did have a, an impact which stopped both kind of free-flowing attacking sides getting into their groove. Um, I was really impressed with, with both of them, um, Wijnaldum and Fabinho I think there'll be some points in which having both of them on the field is redundant um, against maybe weaker opposition. Fabino could maybe do all of that legwork and we can have someone more attacking like Keita on the pitch as well. But he was great. He was everywhere and he was a great shield for the, the defence, but also very composed with the ball as well. So big fan of Fabino's performance. Would you, would you agree with that, Joe? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was <clears throat> from both of them, but especially Fabinho, it's probably the, one of the standout midfield performances of the team this season. Uh, as Jamie said, the four best players on the pitch were probably the four central midfielders, the two from, from both sides. And I, and it, it's kind of, you kind of hate to say it, but I actually was very impressed with Everton in general, and especially um, Gomez and Gay got around the pitch. And Gomez... I, you know, for people who don't know, I live in Spain and I watch a lot of Spanish football and Andre Gomez is at Barcelona looks completely out of his depth and like a man, like a rabbit in the headlights. But um, it sounds uh, quite bad to say, but it, it looks like he's found his level in that he's he's not quite good enough for to be a, a top, top club, but he's a very, very good player in a team who are just outside that top bracket. And I thought he was very good, but I thought that Fabinho showed exactly why we paid all that money for him. I've actually got a couple of stats here that I've just seen on, on Twitter. Fabinho won the ball 14 times, which is pretty impressive, with an 86% passing accuracy, having 72 touches overall. So he was actually more involved in the game than Andre Gomez, who won man of the match. Andre Gomez had 61 touches, won the ball nine times, and had an 81% passing Accuracy. So Fabinho actually was more influential and dominant in that midfield, even if even if it might not have necessarily seemed it to, to the observer in terms of in terms of stats. So you've got to say that that's brilliant for for us. And I also, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to him, but I think that that 
is a game that shows exactly why you pay all that money for Alison Becker as well. I think Ol Fabinho, he goes about his business very quietly. Like he he was just in the right place at the right time, breaking up play. There was nothing flashy about his performance, but it was exactly what we needed. And he passes the ball forwards a lot as well, which I really like. It's one of the big criticisms that you'll see directed at at Jordan Henderson. Now, I'm not Jordan Henderson's biggest fan. I think he's quite a good player. I think he's probably a squad filler for a top four team. But I think we can all agree he's been in pretty rotten form uh, so far this season. And a lot of the criticism that I will direct and the people in general, and I know Match of the Day did a bit of feature on this last week after the Watford game, was that he just doesn't pass the ball forwards enough. He goes and stands on Van Dijk's tiptoes, gets the ball off him, then lays it off to the other centre-back, maybe plays a sideways ball just a bit too much. And I think Fabinho, if you look at him, He's always got his head up and he's always looking to thread one of the front three into play. And I think a lot of, the, a lot of our chances actually came from him passing the ball into Salah, who showed great strength and hold-up play to then lay it off to, say, a Mane or a Firmino. It was, a very, it was extremely pleasing. And yes, Fabinho, his, his distribution was good. I was also impressed by his one-touch distribution as well, which, uh, you know, I mean, top-level football, I mean, as they say... The, the the tiny details are, are so important and by, you know, just passing, laying it off simply, you know, forward, you know, even slightly forward uh, to the fullback or whatever, uh, first time you just open one yard of space for the fullback that they, you know, that, and that, that can do so much. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just so happy for Fabinho, and hopefully he can sort of you know reproduce that. Fourteen tackles in one game. I mean, I remember when I was obsessing over the stats of Lucas Leiva when he was in sort of the peak of his form around 2012, and you know at his best he would win sort of 11 or 12 tackles each game. And uh, so Fabinho with 14, I mean, that's N'Golo Kante style of uh, fabulous protection. But yes, as you mentioned it, Alison Becker, Linus, tell us about our beautiful keeper. Alison, for me, was the man of the match today. Without him, we definitely would have conceded. And also, he started the play very well as well. There was a couple of times when he picked the ball up and he threw, threw it out very quickly and accurately to start the counter-attack. And that saved uh, Andre Gomez's header, I, I think, when uh, Walcott heads it in. It's just it's ridiculous. Cause I'm not sure how it is in yards, but in meters, it's one, maybe two or three meters out. And... He's, he gets his body from the front post to that, and then Joe Gomez gets it after that. A lot of people calling him overrated and saying he's not as good as some others because of the mistake versus Leicester, but after that, that Leicester mistake, he's been so good. He definitely got a, got us one point against Chelsea with, with the 2-1-on-1s he said, one with Hazard and the other with Pedro or William or whoever it was. And then uh, I think it was Brighton, he get, got us points as well, and probably our man of the match at PSG definitely kept the numbers down. So I think Alisson is probably our signing of the season so far. He's just made our defense, he's made our defense and uh, also our uh, counter-attacking play uh, much easier. 
than when we had carriers. Well, yeah, I mean, there's not much to disagree with there. I mean, he was he was absolutely phenomenal today, and he's been brilliant all season. I mean, yeah, he gifted Leicester a goal, but uh, we won the match, so I mean, that doesn't matter. And he has learned from it. There were there was a time in the second half where you know we were a little bit under pressure, trying to pass it out from the back, and Alisson thought, no, bugger it. I'm going to whack it long. And he did. And it cleared the danger. And then, you know, no problem. We've conceded five goals in 14 now. Um, Is this, I mean, is it too early, Joe? Or is this the best defence we've had since Hanson Lorenzen? Well, I must put a disclaimer in here and say that I was born in 1990. So I can't really remember um, Hanson and Lorenzen. However, (laughs) certainly... uh, well, first of all, just on Alisson, if I may start there. Um, if you actually, obviously, we've all seen the footage of Jurgen Klopp going as ballistic as we all did when the goal went in. And if you look, he runs over to Alisson. I think that that's maybe one acknowledging just how big a role he played in keeping Everton at bay. But also, the presence of mind he showed to just tip that free kick to Trent so that Trent got a slightly better angle to be able to put the cross in. I think that that was really intelligent of him. And it just goes to show that he's a, a goalkeeper who understands all-round all round play as well as just being a, a shot-stopper. And with regard to the best defence, well, I mean, I can sort of vaguely remember the days of the hippie Honcho, Carragher, Marcus Babel, back four, which was pretty watertight. Obviously, you had uh, a liability like Sander Vesterveld in goal behind them, which kind of... Uh, let them down at times, not least in, in some very, very big games, including, I believe, the uh, the last Merseyside derby that Everton actually won at Anfield. Westerville got sent off for punching Francis Jeffers, I believe, which, we you know, nobody wants to see that. And I think if Alison Becker would have done that to Rich Allison today, everyone would have, uh, would have been screaming at him. So I certainly think uh, it's up there. I don't think we can go as far as saying it's the best yet just because we're only, what is it, are we 14 games into the Premier League season now? 14, yep. Needs to be done over over a season because while they've been very good in the Premier League, we obviously will touch on the European campaign, which has, has actually seen a lot of chopping and changing in defence as well as as well as goal concessions. I don't think, I think that those two pretty much go hand in hand. I think the level drops when, when you move a couple of lads out of there. So I think that for the moment, you know, we could say we're very, very satisfied with them. I think we need to wait before putting them on a on the same level as, you know, a Honcha, a Hippio partnership or a, a Hanson and Lawrenson. But certainly Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk are looking, are looking brilliant. And I actually thought today that Gomez was the better of the two. I actually think that van Dijk at times looked a little bit a little bit ruffled and lacked a little bit of composure in a couple of things that he did that was maybe... A, Carrying on from the PSG game, maybe he's tired because he's played a lot of football, but I certainly think that those two and Alisson between them are... They've, we've gone from the, the Mignolet, Lovren, Skirtle, Triangle of Doom to the Alisson, Do Gomez and Virgil van Dijk sort of triangle of... of I can't even... I don't even know how you can describe it other than that it's the complete... What's the opposite of Doom? Because that's what they are. <laughs> Dreams, uh, maybe. Dreams, yes. Joy, wonder. Yeah, Two very good-looking lads as well, which 
you know, in complete contrast to Martin Skirt or Simon Minnelay. Lovren's not a bad looking lad. Well, come on, Joe. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, Skirtle's a beauty. Uh, so is Mignolet. It depends uh, Depends who you are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, one more thing on Alisson that, you know, talk about one of his one of his great moments of the match was when he, when Walcott was one-on-one with him. And, you know, it was just one minute after Shakiri missed his one-on-one. Uh, and then Alisson, it's an absolutely unbelievable stop for Walcott. He reads what he's doing and Walcott doesn't exactly take a take too bad of a touch. It's 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 sort of uh, 30 centimeters away from him or less and and uh, Allison just sort of flings himself down and gets his hand on the ball and it ricochets off Walcott for a goal kick. That was for me, I don't know, that was even more impressive than 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 Gomez. But uh, yeah, um, Shakiri missed that one-on-one a minute before. What did you make of his performance, Jamie? I thought that he started the game very well. I think that the missed chance was symptomatic of a couple of our chances in the game where whether it's a lack of confidence or just not getting the ball quite right under your feet before shooting, that, you know, Mane's chance, Shakiri's chance, they were close, but you never really looked like they were going in. My biggest criticism of him is, as the game went on, he seemed to stop looking to pick out players. And I think I made a note at some stage in the game that he started to just put the ball into kind of quote-unquote danger area, regardless of where where our actual players were. And so I think he became less effective from the kind of 50-minute mark, I guess. But he's he's clearly a very good player. He clearly he does something which no other midfielder does, which is he really looks to take the ball on and take a man on before putting someone through. Um, the only other person I noticed do that before before Cater and Sturridge came on actually was Joe Gomez, who was a chance in the first half that Firmino put over the bar that started because Gomez from defence walked it out past two players and got us on the front foot because suddenly Everton was scrambling to make up that space. Um, but I thought he had a good game, and I think he's a very good addition to our squad. And he's hit the ground running faster than than Cater, say. But once we have different options in himself and Cater, and even if Origi becomes a real option, then perhaps that'll help our strike force gel once it takes the pressure off them to have a few more players pitching in with goals from behind. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting idea as well. If if Origi can play himself into contention. When he came on, it was the 83rd minute, I believe. Uh, the French commentators were like very sarcastic. They weren't, uh, they didn't, it was in their tone of voice. They were like, and now Klopp's bringing on Divock Origi. And they're like, Divock Origi, yeah, Divock Origi's coming on. Um, so, you know, piss off to them as well. I'd like to say, you know, big piss off to, to both of those those fools because uh, I mean they had obviously seen him play a lot in France and uh, he, he was a little bit underwhelming when he was in France I do understand where they're coming from um, but uh, can he play himself into contention Joe? Well uh, certainly scoring a winning goal in the Merseyside derby is not going to do your, your case any harm in that respect is it and I think I certainly think that he looks actually quite 
lively when he came on because obviously we've touched on the fact that he, he hit the bar uh, from very close range, which was quite unlucky, actually, I thought. But I think there was another, there was another time where I think it was, um, was it Trent Alexander-Arnold or Joe Gomez played the ball down the right-hand channel and he just flicked the ball past Pasieri Mina and completely did him for pace and put a really good ball in that was cleared for a corner. Um, towards Mane, so he certainly looked like like he was up for a bit of a, a battle when he came on. Maybe that had something to do with the fact of he wanted some sort of personal revenge against Everton as well, as we touched on with the the horrific Funes Mori challenge that happened a couple of years ago in the same fixture. Um, well, you know, we go away to Burnley in midweek, which is never which is never a nice place to go to. And I think if you actually look at the form of of our front three and of you know Roberto Firmino, who has for so long been so consistently good in that central striking role as a focal point, you know, against a team who are going to kick kick the living daylights out of you and you're going to have to scrap for everything, why can't Divock Origi have a run out against against you know Burnley and let allow Roberto Firmino, you know, you just tell him, have a week off, you'll play against Bournemouth next weekend, but we're going to give Divock and Daniel a go this week, and I think that he certainly earned the right to be to be in contention for it. Maybe he's not fit enough to start, having not played a lot of football, but he's not a bad substitute to bring on. I mean, he's not he's not a world beater. He's not a top top striker, but he knows where to be. He showed his predatory instinct for equalising. Well, sorry for the winning goal, and you know he's shown that he's got pace and power in the the running behind. So I would certainly have him around. I'm not sure if maybe it's also an opportunity as Cops allowing him to showcase his talents ahead of the January transfer window, so it could maybe be mutually beneficial as well. Yeah, okay. Well let's let's uh, look at some stats from the match I've got in front of me. Uh Liverpool had sixteen shots in total apparently, uh, with uh, only three on target. And according to these stats, which are just from Google, um Everton had nine shots with three on target. We had 58% possession, but as you might know already, I just don't think that means anything. Uh, Our passing accuracy was only 79%. uh, Everton's only 72%. And bear in mind that a good... A sort of well, an average Premier Premier League performance for your top six, you're you're around about eighty three percent, and a good Premier League performance, you're at about you know eighty six. Anything above eighty five is a very very good Premier League performance. So to be down at seventy nine percent suggests, I think that was true. I, we could see that with our own eyes that our passing was a bit off today, uh, Linus. Uh, was that? one of the things that you noticed in the match? Yeah, well, that's one thing. I think some of our passes were misguided, but I also think it's the factor of Everton actually pressing quite quite high as well, and that's the reason they had low pass percentage too, probably, because we pressed them very high. So I think we probably could have had passed better, definitely, but... Their high pressing also made it difficult for us to get the ball into space. And because we tried uh, a lot more balls just behind their back line and down the channels, it's more risky passes. So our pass percentage is bound to go down. And yeah, I think uh, just in general tried more uh, risky passes today and most of them weren't very good. And 
So, yeah, I thought our passing weren't great today, but it's not only because of our passing, but also because of Everton's impressive pressing as well. That's very true. Uh, yeah, that is very true. Everton did well, didn't they, Jamie? I thought they were really good, um, as much as it is painful to say that. Um, I think the way they played also contributed to that passing stat. The We couldn't go through the middle. Their two central midfielders really did force us in some ways to play you know, a slightly more direct game and also through the channels where pass accuracy, I guess, drops. But even... In attack and in counter-attack particularly, I thought they were very quick. They knew exactly what they were doing. They're clearly very well drilled. I thought Richarlison, Walcott, Bernard were all um, a threat. But also I felt they were slightly toothless. Um, They obviously had those two chances, the the fantastic Allison save and the Walcott one-on-one, which is also a a fantastic Allison save. Um, But other than that, I never really felt like they were carving us open or getting to a point where they looked like they were creating the kind of chances they should be putting away. So I thought they did play very well. They contained us very well. They broke very well. Um, But also, I don't think they deserved any more than a point if they had managed to hold on to one because I don't think they created too much of a threat either. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, they had a couple of uh, of chances. Remember the early one with with, uh, Yevi Mina after three minutes? Uh, from a free kick, a soft free kick that Trent gave away. Uh, Mina had a chance. He was actually offside, but I don't think the linesman flagged for it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it's true. They, they, I mean, they only had three shots on target, but uh, I thought that was, yeah, it was a good performance by, <clears throat> by the Ev. They must hate us. They must absolutely hate us. I'm looking at the historical results. And it's almost like ancient history. The last time we lost to Everton was on the 17th of October 2010 when they beat us 2-0. And since then, I can't even count. I think it's about 20 matches that we're undefeated. It's it's unbelievable record. But uh, what can we do to improve this, this passing stat? Is it something that we need to... We need to be worried about this. Our passing accuracy, Joe. I think that you can't really take too much um, in those terms from a derby game, just because of so how emotionally charged and how sort of high octane a derby game is always going to be. Especially, you know, this this maybe sounds like I'm belittling Everton and patronising them, which to a certain extent I am. But it's their <laughs> cup final playing against Liverpool, you know, they came into it in very good form. They, you know, they've been given a, they'd been giving it a bit, especially on social media about how this is their year. And Phil Neville earlier in the season on match of the day too, also said, I think this could be Everton's year, which I'm not really sure what he's referring to, maybe a seventh place finish or something like that. But it was, um, Everton came into the game. They played very, very well, as Jamie said. And, they just pressed, pressed, pressed and pressed. But I thought you could see in the second half especially, um, we looked a little bit leggy because of the Paris Saint-Germain exerts in midweek, but they looked very leggy as well, I thought. I thought that it just kind of got broken up because it was two teams who were two teams who were sort of had put themselves, you know, right to the physical edge and, you know, the fact that we've all got another game in midweek uh, doesn't really help anyone. 
I don't think, especially not away at Burnley, but I don't think you can... It's one thing to sort of... I mean, maybe I sound like I'm contradicting myself as well, having you know talked about how good Fabinho was and his individual stats earlier on, but that was sort of in the middle of all the madness. He stood up and was higher than the average. He, you know, his pass completion rate was 86%, as opposed to the team's overall of 79 So it wasn't for his lack of ability or trying. And I just think that... I think that there's plenty to learn from and there's plenty to to be improved upon, as we'll all, all agree, no doubt. But I think that in terms of the passing and the game plan, we just it's just one of those. It's a derby and you can't do much about it. Well, fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more stat, the last one for, for this match was the XG. Uh, according to understat.com, Liverpool's XG was 3.04 and Everton's 1.23. So, I mean, if we'd converted out all of our big chances, uh, then, you know, maybe the, the, the score would have been 3-1, three, three, you know, if they'd converted theirs. Uh, Sadio Mane was a bit unlucky in front of goal, uh, I thought, today. Uh, but uh, he's such a danger. He's, he's an amazing player. I love Sadio Mane. He's one of, if not my favourite player in the front three, I think that he was unlucky with some of the chances he had, but also very much is a sign of he was getting in the right place and and causing such... I, th- I think the Everton centre-backs are terrified of him, particularly Keane on that side. Um, I think Keane was probably the worst player, but I think that's because of the effect that Mane had on him. And I think that he is someone who... His goal-scoring form has been a bit patchy this season, but... I think he's actually been more of a consistent threat than than Salah and Firmino, who've also been in in patchy form. And yeah, I was I was gutted for him that he didn't get a goal because I, I think he likes after that last minute goal against Everton last year. It would be nice if he'd been the one to bury them again. But I was a big fan of his performance, and I'm hoping that once the attack clicks and we get back to the the firebrand attacking of of some of last year that he kicks on and gets the goals his play deserves. Well, it's another game, Jamie, staying with you on this, because it's another game where where we're still waiting for our attack to go back to the, you know, get back to the to the fireball magic of last season. Um, I mean, is it, are we going to say this all season? Uh, when's, it, when's it coming back? I don't think we will. I think Klopp said before the game that the new... Our new style of play is based on a new maturity and a necessity that we can't just play this, I know he doesn't like the term, but heavy metal football all the time, and that the most consistent way that we're going to win this league is through this new formation and this new style. And I think the players are starting to get used to it. Um, Our form has certainly picked up in the past month, uh, PSG aside. Uh, I think that we were maybe one or two touches in the box away from any of the front three getting a goal. And I think that, as with anything, we've seen it even with any new player coming into Klopp's system, sometimes it takes time for it to bed in. And therefore, I think it makes sense as well that if Klopp changes the system, it will also take a bit of time to bed in. But come uh, come the turn of the year, I'm confident that we'll be a much more flowing team in attack. So you give it one more month, the turn of the year, beginning of January, we're going to hit mid-season form and start steamrolling teams again. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like your your optimism in that regard. Um, 
Joe, zooming zooming out, you know, looking at the season in whole as a whole, um, how important is this result? And are we going to win the league? Um, well, I'll start with the first one. It's probably an easier question to answer. Um, it's an incredibly important result because uh, Manchester City played yesterday, uh, being Saturday, and comfortably beat Bournemouth 3-1 and went five points clear. And I think if if we'd have lost or even drawn today, we'd have... We'd have been four. Well, we'd have been four points behind them with a draw, five behind them with a loss, and I think that even at this stage of the season, with over with sort of two thirds of it to go, a five point gap on Manchester City plus their goal difference. So you're looking at essentially a six a six point gap on Manchester City would have been very difficult to turn over because a lot of teams are just turning up against them and are kind of saying, you know, can we shake hands on a three three nil defeat before kickoff? Uh, although I think that a few teams need to look at how Leon have approached those games in the Champions League for maybe a bit of inspiration, but that's another another story for another day. But I think it was a vitally important one, and you just kind of hope as well that the boost that you get from winning a derby, especially in such dramatic circumstances, can, can serve as a catalyst for the rest of the season. I mean, the fan base is all on a high. You, know, every, you saw it at the end as well on the television that the players... You know, we were much mocked in Klopp's first season after Origi, funnily enough, scored an injury-time equaliser against West Brom. And after the game, everyone went over to the crowd and they did their linking hand thing and got, you know, created that bond with the crowd that was much mocked at the time, but actually served to reignite a very disenchanted fan base with, with the team. And, you know, you saw that again today. You know, everyone remained until the very end. Divock Origi's name was being sung from the cop which, you know, for two years it hasn't been. Everything was just was just brilliant, and that team spirit is there. So in terms of the rest of the season, today, a vic- that victory in those circumstances, you probably couldn't have asked for, for any more. Will we win the league? Um, as much as I would like to say yes, and as much as it, be, as it pains me to say it, I probably think that we're still a little bit short uh, of winning the league largely in midfield. I don't think that we can compete with Manchester City over 38 games, but I think we'll be a hell of a lot closer to them than we were last season. But if you look at how well they're doing with, and they've been without Kevin De Bruyne for most of the season, it's just it's just frightening, really. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, OK, we are still second favourites. Uh, Linus, what do you think? Well, I'm still as hopeful, but I'm not as, confident maybe as I maybe was at the beginning of the season I it's just embarrassing to see uh, teams against the uh, Manchester City just trying to sit back more more trying not to lose by too many goals than trying to get points against them so depending on what we do in January I'm starting to feel like no but I do trust the squad we have but I think if we want to compete with the City, I think we need an, a backup to Mane, especially, and maybe another creative outlet in midfield, unless uh, Keita starts playing that role more regular, regularly. And uh, I do think we, we have a chance of winning the league. I think we 
will put that pressure on City. And I think if we can keep at an even footing during the holiday season and be at about the same level coming into the first uh, of January fi- uh, game against them at Etihad, I think that game might decide the league. Also, on another note, going a bit off topic, I'm just reading a bit from the post-match press conference with Klopp, and apparently both Stadio and Robertson have a slight knock, so they might be out for Wednesday, but hopefully not. Oh no, that's one of my worst nightmares, Alberto Moreno back in the team. Although last time he did he did okay, but, but Burnley are off form this season. They're they're really playing badly. But uh, oh my gosh, I'd prefer Milner to Moreno, wouldn't you? A- anyone who knows me knows that I have absolutely no respect for Alberto Moreno at all. I w- I will support him if he plays because he's a Liverpool player, but I will absolutely not stand by that decision that'll be interesting yeah in january we need a backup uh, on the left at least one i think that's fair either left wing or or left back would you would you do that in january jamie i would i'm not sure that we will um i can't see us making any changes to our squad in january unless someone completely out of the blue came available and and Klopp was and Klopp decided to go for it i mean Perhaps someone like Aaron Ramsey, if Arsenal decided to cash in on him uh, before his contract expires in the summer. But otherwise, I think we'll have to, we'll go with the squad that we have. Um, and I think on the left hand side, perhaps there's an argument that well, I think a left back was screwed. If if something happened to to Robertson in the long term, I can't see Milner moving back to left back. I think we'd we'd have to survive the the Moreno effect. And hopefully, playing against, playing with even a real goalkeeper and decent centre backs would reduce some of the damage that he can potentially cause us. Um, and then, on the kind of left wing forward position, I guess the argument could be made that any of Keita, Shakiri, Lalana are probably seen as the squad players who Klopp would play there if something happened to Mane. But I think we would lose such an outlet and so much pace that that could be very damaging to our season as well. Yes, Lalana especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but another solution, I forgot, uh, another solution at left-back is young Adam Lewis. Now, I don't know if you guys are as, as geeky about Liverpool as I am, but I, I watch as many matches as I can, including the youngsters. And Adam Lewis, 18 years, years old, he played at number 10 against Paris Saint-Germain reserves and he did really well. Um, I was actually speaking to one of the PSG people who watched the match and uh, and they said they were very, very impressed with Adam Lewis. Uh, and as an 18-year-old, I mean, he's got a wonderful left foot. He takes amazing free kicks and corners. Uh, his passing's excellent. He can get up and down. And although he played number 10 against PSG, his normal position is left back. So I wonder if that's in Klopp's mind to, you know, let Alberto Moreno sort of see out his contract and then bring Adam Lewis through. I would hope so. But uh, finally, I mean, I want to talk uh, just at the end of this uh, to sort of bring us back down to earth uh, a little bit. We did lose against Paris Saint-Germain on Wednesday night. uh, And I want to know what are your sort of frustrations about that and 
And can we do it against Napoli? Uh, I'm going to go to you first on this, Joe. Well, all I'll say, it's a good job we didn't do this podcast on Thursday because I think it would have lasted for about three hours just with me ranting about that performance. I was absolutely <laughs> seething uh, for about 48 hours after watching that game. Um, do I think we'll do it against Napoli? Um, I mean, I, I, yes, I do, but I think it's going to be hard. I think it might be a 3-1 or 4-2 kind of job, a 5-2 kind of job, because I can't see Carlo Ancelotti coming and playing for a 0-0, knowing that a 1-0 defeat would would see them uh, crash out, I believe, depending on the PSG results. So I certainly think, and I think that they're a very good team, as well. I think a lot of I think a lot of fans are forgetting just how good Napoli actually are. They've take, they've drawn twice with PSG when, by all accounts, they've been the better team in those games and they they absolutely dominated us in Naples as well. So it's going to be tough. Um, with regards to the PSG game, the one positive that I would take from it, well, would probably be that we will never see the triumvirate of Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum lining up together in central <laughs> midfield again because there was a third consecutive... I mean, I know Naby Keita started in Naples, but he came off after a quarter of an hour and Henderson came on. So, in essence, that's the third consecutive group game in which those three have started away from home. Third defeat, the third in which the front three have looked totally marooned from the rest of the side and the midfield have just been completely bypassed. But, I mean, it, it it's not James Milner's fault that he's 32 and his legs don't move as quick as they once used to do and it's not Jordan Henderson's fault that injuries have taken their toll I mean I love Klopp and I think he's brilliant but sometimes you you know you have to say that he gets things wrong and I think he he got his team selection be it playing Dayan Lovren and having Joe Gomez at right back to lining up with that midfield three I just think he got it all completely wrong especially with the Gomez Lovren decision I think that that was that was criminal to be honest with you and then I noticed that Dayan wasn't even in the match day squad today and he's probably picked up another one of those niggling injuries that he tends to get which do my head in as well because if you're a, he's, he's supposed to be a big hard centre back and he misses quite a lot of games as well and if, if Joe Gomez were to get injured long term as we've seen him do before I'm not sure you can rely on Lovren's fitness or form in that respect as well and nobody wants to see Joel Matip playing I don't think because he played in Belgrade, and that, was, that wasn't that was pretty. So I just think that the Paris Saint-Germain game was... It's one of them, you, you know, you can say, look, they've got Mbappe, Neymar, Cavani, who are three of the best forwards in the world, two of the most expensive players in the history of the game, and they were just brilliant. But I think we made life extremely easy for them, and the fact that we didn't even make Buffon make a save in the second half when we dominated things is just shows exactly how how we performed on the night mm, yeah it's a very good review uh from my position i was actually extremely fortunate i was i was in i don't know the fates aligned i'm having an extremely lucky week and uh, although it wasn't the best liverpool performance i was actually in a box i was actually in a vip area watching it um I mean, I don't know, I don't know, just luck. And uh, I was a little bit disappointed at the shape of the midfield as much as anything because PSG, who played a 4-4-2, and we don't like teams 
that play four four two against us. Um, they 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 outnumbered us on the left, and I don't necessarily think Lovren and uh, and 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 Gomez was such a bad idea because you put Gomez theoretically to stop Neymar, but. Nobody really expected Mbappe to be right next to Neymar, which he was for most of most of that first half, at least. And uh, it, they were just having lots of joy, outnumbering us, you know. And it was clear after sort of five minutes that that was what they were doing. Um, and Klopp did nothing, and a lot of our a lot of our you know our midfield shape. We had that three, and they were just sort of there in position, but whilst they were in their position marking grass uh gomez had sort of three players with the overlapping burnout to deal with um so i thought that was a that was a disappointing thing from from my point of view i don't know um what did you make of the match uh uh jamie i think i probably agree with you i don't think for once lovren is the one who was at fault or was the biggest one to blame. I agree that we got Klopp got the tactics wrong. Um, the midfield didn't look equipped, whether it was lack of pace or, or awareness to deal with PSG. Uh, Verratti was fantastic. I really like him as a player. And I think he showed again why he's so useful in supplying this fantastic PSG attack. Um, but they beat us and they beat us in a way in which we were never really at the races. Like we were never close to even when the periods where we dominated the game, we didn't, as Joe said, force Buffon to make a save, but we really didn't look like we were ever going to get into a position of true ascendancy in the game. Um, I'm kind of sad we're not playing Napoli this midweek. I don't think we, under Klopp, have lost two games in a row. And I think the sting of being so outclassed by PSG, the highs of that last-minute goal from Origi, I feel we would have had them come to Anfield and it would have been a really tough proposition for Napoli. Um, as it is, we have a bit of time to prepare, and I think we can do it. I think Napoli are a great team. I think when the draw came out, a few people were so excited to have this, you know, this tough European group that you kind of forget the fact that that means that you can't afford to slip up, and we've now slipped up a couple of times. So there's so much pressure on this game, but I think we have what it takes to beat them by two goals but it's going to be a really tough night. Uh, yeah, I mean, ex- excellent answer. Um, yeah, what about you, Linus? When the match squad for uh, PSG came out, the lineups, I instantly saw that midfield, and I was so fed up with that midfield in Belgrade, where we barely uh, could string a couple of uh, simple passes together, and it's... The problem is there's no creative player in that midfield. Vinaldum's probably the most creative player in that midfield, but I don't think as a number eight that box-to-box midfielder has been very good this season. I think when he plays the number six, the DM role like he did today with Fabinho, he's been at his best. And I think if anyone's to blame for that defeat, I think it's uh, uh, Klopp. I think he... Uh, used the wrong team to begin with and uh, I think he was a bit too stubborn uh, with sticking to his tactics and uh, not uh, playing any creative players in that midfield which marooned the uh, front three a bit. One thing, uh, the defense with Joe Gomes and uh, uh, Lovren, I think 
I it definitely Joe Gomez is better in the defensive sense at right back, but I I'm not very impressed with him overall on that right hand side. I think the one positive with him being there over the over at center over him being at centre back is we get those long throw-ins that he's been uh, so good at that we don't really have otherwise because uh, that's one thing we didn't have today uh, against Everton. We didn't have anyone that can just throw it straight into the box, which we might uh, might have been we might uh, we might have needed uh, if we wanted to secure the game a bit earlier. I'm not sure if that would have helped, but yeah, I think I thought the players just lacked confidence and. Uh, we were outplayed by PSG. I think, uh, especially Henderson. I I like Henderson. I think he's a uh, good playmaker. No, not not playmaker, but he's a good player. Uh, he definitely were lost season. I think he was very good then. Uh, but he against PSG, he is, didn't look very confident or very captainy or good at all. I think yeah. he uh, Neymar pretty much ran rings around him at all times. I think uh, the. I think it's the midfield that's been our biggest problem this year when we haven't played any uh, Shakiri type players or Keita has barely play, played. Uh, I think he started four games uh, this season, obviously had an injury, but I think that's what we need in midfield because we had that in Ox last season and we haven't had that this season. We haven't had that creative player except when we played Shakiri, which have been brilliant almost every time he's played. I think today was his probably his worst performance uh, so far uh, playing from the start. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I'd, I'd say that was uh, one of Shaq's uh, worst worst uh, appearances for us. Although he did, you know, he did try his best and that's all we can ask. Uh, but yes, uh, but, uh, and also I think, yeah, you're, you're all right to sort of, you know, question Klopp about about Wednesday. Going back to today, as a final um, question, it's going to be for you, Jamie, because I didn't go to you on this earlier. Um, I mean, we give him we give him criticism when it's sort of or questioning when it's due, but today praise when it's due. Um, you've got to say his substitutions worked, his team selection worked, because we beat Everton one goal to nil. In the last frickin' minute, and uh, are we going to win the league, Jamie? The theory about us winning the league that is probably the most hopeful is the one where Man City think they can blow the competition out of the water by Christmas. This time last year, they had effectively built up such a lead it was impossible to catch them. And if every week they have to look over to the, over their shoulder and see us winning and grinding out results. Maybe it'll make them nervous. Maybe it'll take some of the sheen off their performances. But it's going to be really tough. I mean, we have to be... If Man City are almost perfect and they're already two points ahead of us, then we pretty much have to be perfect from now through the, the end of the season. Um, I was thinking through the game because one of my main things this morning was please don't let Everton be the one who take our unbeaten record. I'll then be pissed off if it's Burnley or, or Bournemouth. Absolutely can't let it be United. And I've realized I can't stand the idea of anyone beating us anymore. So hopefully if we can <laughs> go, let, let's just hope we go this season unbeaten, pip City to the title and, and make everyone's dreams come true. But I think it'll be tough. But I think we're probably the best place team to do it. Brilliant. 
Love it. Yeah, exactly. We know we're not getting carried away. We know we're second favourites. But yeah, this this sort of, you know, this sort of little crack in the in the egg of City's mind might start to sort of get bigger as we get closer and closer to to May and pile the pressure on. Keep chipping away. Keep chipping away. Excellent. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me. And, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of your evenings. I hope you have uh, lovely dreams about Divock and about that crossbar thing and about, uh, you know, about uh, Jordan's, Jordan Pickford's arms being as wide as a gnat's wingspan. And uh, thank you so much. So that's it for now. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, I really mean that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Very little to do now, but uh, just to prove that I did indeed scream like a Take That fan who's received a pair of Robbie Williams's soiled underwear for Christmas. Uh, here's a bit of audio from that, and we'll be back very soon. Bye. Go! Go! Go!